Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, April 6, 2018. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, and Elliot. Hey, guys. Hi. Good morning. Hello. Hello. So today uh, we're going to talk about estrogen, uh, comprised of uh, estrone, estriol, and estradiol. Man. Estradiol. Estradiol. Okay. Not estradiol. (laughs) I like saying estradiol. (laughs) (laughs) It might be one of those regional things where some some people call it one thing and some people call it another. Elliot, how do you pronounce estradiol? Uh, both ways. I mean, I, I did say est- estradiol, but then I got picked up by my supervisor, and she was like, "No, it's estradiol." So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> either one. Or no. uh, the question is, Elliot, are you going to say estrogen or estrogen? <laughs> Probably both. Uh, <laughs> you'll have to just wait and see. I kind of <laughs> like estrogen, but yeah, estrogen maybe. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Okay. And vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the the roles of estrogen. I mean, I'm sure most you know everybody's tangentially aware of what estrogen is. Uh, you know, even if you don't know anything about biology, really, it's testosterone and estrogen. Um, so, but estrogen is primarily associated with bone formation, blood clotting, tissue growth, mood regulation, and surprisingly, sound processing. Uh, so we wanted to talk about this interesting hormone and also talk about. Uh, it, the role that it might play in kind of upsetting the balance of hormones that we have going on right now. So we talked in our last show about uh, plastics and about uh, uh, estrogenic compounds that can upset the balance in the body. So we kind of wanted to follow up on that a little bit with this topic. But, uh, no, we were talking before the show, and uh, Tiff and Erica, you guys mentioned that you think we have or that there are not shortages of estrogen. Is that true that there's not a like, whereas, you know, most people are deficient in something, magnesium, iodine, whatever it might be, uh, there doesn't necessarily seem to be a lot of cases of estrogen deficiency. Most of the problems come with, you know, too much estrogen, right? Or it's in the wrong places. Well, from what I've read, the cases of estrogen deficiency are relatively rare compared to cases of estrogen dominance. Mm. But that is not reflected in what doctors prescribe. Like if a woman goes to her doctor complaining of any kind of female symptoms like night sweats or PMS or perimenopausal symptoms, they'll often come away with a prescription for estrogen, which is just making things worse. Yeah, it just seems, I mean, it's like, it's almost like the medical community is ignoring the uh, you know the the, pre- the presence of prevalence I mean to say of these uh, estrogenic type compounds in our environment which is causing an upset in this balance so they just see something it's like they're going like just straight off the biology the readings that they get from your body and ignoring the environmental factors so maybe all doctors don't do that but it does seem that way and it seems like it's even worse than that too like <clears throat> even leaving aside kind of all the estrogenic compounds in the environment. It seems like in a lot of cases, it's kind of a very simplistic look at things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, oh, you're going through menopause, therefore you must be low in estrogen. And the reason you're having all these symptoms is because you're low in estrogen. But they're not looking at, like, there's a really intricate interplay of all these hormones going on. And it's kind of like really simplistic to just go, oh, not enough estrogen, let's uh, prescribe some estrogen. 
It's like they're not looking at the way that the different hormones interact, like particularly progesterone, mm-hmm. which has kind of a counter effect to estrogen. So it's like it, it, it just seems like in a lot of cases, like I think you could say this about a lot of different things, cholesterol being one, um, that it's almost like the doctors don't really understand the way things work and are doing these very simplistic kind of answers to things. Or they just don't yeah. have the time to spend to get to yeah. the deeper root of the cause. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I yeah. think that's a, a really pertinent point is that um, what typically happens is that when someone goes through the, the menopause or the perimenopause or something, um, there are correlations between low serum estrogen levels and this time of, of a woman's mm-hmm. life. And I think they the doctors or the medical community see it very simplistically. They see low serum estrogen levels, meaning deficiency of estrogen. Mm-hmm. But a low serum estrogen level could be caused by multiple different things. And one of those has already been mentioned. One of those is actually, pro- it, it has to do with progesterone's interaction with estrogen. So mm-hmm. Doug just said that, he said about progesterone actually kind of balances out estrogen. So it actually, it, it, it mitigates a lot of the facts. It kind of acts in opposition in many ways. And so what it's known to do is kind of block the so-called estrogen receptor and kind of get estrogen out of the cell. So if you look at it in, in, it, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of research which is showing that progesterone supplementation in menopause actually has better results than estrogen supplementation and so a conclusion that could be drawn by that is that maybe one of the reasons why these women have low serum estrogen levels is actually because they're low in progesterone Mm -hmm. so there's a bunch of estrogen in the cells but you can't measure estrogen in cells and this is a problem and this is what there's loads of debate in the medical community about this is people saying that there's such a problem with measuring blood levels of estrogen because it's not measuring what is actually inside the cell. And that it, it, it's only when it's inside the cell that it actually acts that it can have an effect. Mm-hmm. So it, what may come up as low estrogen, it may actually be that they've got loads of estrogen in the cells and there's not enough progesterone to get it out of the cell and oppose it. And so this is maybe one of the reasons why a lot of women experience like estrogen dominant sy- symptoms, but they come up with really low estrogen on blood tests. And so you can imagine in this scenario, by giving them more estrogen, you're potentially compounding the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what 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 are some of the things that can lower progesterone? Like if somebody was kind of in this situation of uh, having estrogen dominance symptoms and, uh, I don't know, did a test or something and found out that they were actually low in progesterone, what could actually be causing that? Well, I think a lot of the... Um, a lot of the... <sighs> The interaction between estrogen and progesterone is it has to be very sort of delicate. There has to be a balance. Um, And so it may not necessarily be that there's not enough progesterone being produced. What it may be is the 
the balance between estrogen and progesterone is thrown off. So let's say, I mean, this is, I'm just giving you a random number here. Let's say a normal healthy human body would produce 10 units of progesterone and they would produce 10 units of estrogen. Okay. And so you would imagine, now this isn't anywhere near, like this isn't realistic terms. I'm just saying this for um, understanding sake. So you have 10 of each. And so each balance out one another. Um, But if you're in a situation where the environment or the, your lifestyle means that you're exposed or you that, that you ingest say 30 extra units of estrogen that means you would have 40 units of estrogen and only 10 units of progesterone mm-hmm. so it may not be that you're necessarily deficient or not producing enough progesterone it may be that your system becomes overburdened with estrogen and so the the ratio between the estrogen and progesterone it gets um skewed and I think this is this is one of the things. There's also lots of other factors which can affect someone's progesterone levels. Like, as I just said, if there's really high estrogen, that can have an effect on how well you produce progesterone. Um, there's also a lot of people who suffer from thyroid issues. And thyroid, um, the availability of thyroid hormone is one of the main factors in, in your ability to make progesterone. Um, we know all the information about iodine and everything like that and all of the other sort of thyroid disrupting chemicals that we're exposed to. Um, so that could have an effect on progesterone. I know there's a couple of other vitamins as well. So there's vitamin E um, and there's also vitamin A. And yeah, generally, I think it's it's so complex that not really anyone knows exactly what controls the production of these hormones. Um mm. you know it's quite a complex subject and it's really muddy when you look into the research like I've spent like all week um just trying to make some sense out of it and I don't think anyone really knows um but what we do know is that what we do know is that estrogen is is a very interesting sort of hormone um and you know we've kind of briefly spoken about this on the show before about how it, it is predominantly found in females, but it's also found in males. And there's some debate about whether it's technically a female hormone or whether it's just more of a sort of evolutionary hormone that's that's um, that's got some sort of other functions as well. So I'd just like to talk about basically what the um, what the functions of estrogen actually are. So most people do associate it with um, the as a, as a female hormone, and this is because it's really it's really kind of important for female physiology. Um, from from an, an evolutionary standpoint, I think that it's kind of safe to say that um, for a woman or for a, a female to uh, develop into um, a repro- uh, to develop reproductive ability, um, you really rely on a on a on a on, on a hormone like estrogen. Uh, so the the growth of breasts in puberty and the the development of the female shape the and the men the hips, the widening of the hips, and also the 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 menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is 
this the menstrual cycle basically involves the rhythmic fluctuations of different hormones and one of those hormones is estrogen and um and so estrogen basically comes along and its main function is to um to initiate the the rapid growth of the endometrial lining so the endometrial lining is is you know it's the lining of the reproductive tract and this is what typically uh midpoint through the cycle it develops into like a thick spongy uh highly dense um spongy type tissue which is really dense with nutrients and and blood and then um you know a few days after that typically a woman will shed that via her period and then that will become reabsorbed but so what's important to understand here is that estrogen plays the role of growth okay so it's really important for the growth of a tissue and um and so this this is important but it's also important that we have something to shut this off we we need we need to be able to to stop that and so if you think of estrogen as like an accelerator on growth then progesterone is like putting the brakes on and it, mm. progesterone basically comes along and says look okay we don't need to grow anymore we don't need cells to proliferate so we're going to stop you and as long as you can keep a balance that's good you know estrogen's not good and it's not bad just like every other hormone if you have excess or if you have not enough then there's going to be bad consequences but ultimately you know it's just that is its role it's like its evolutionary role is to basically tell the cell to basically divide mm. um and yeah so so if you you're familiar with you know what we've spoken about on the show before with hormone disrupting chemicals and things they'll typically say they're estrogenic and so it's like you can have certain chemicals or influences which can almost hijack this evolutionary system and can initiate the or can can sort of um keep the brakes on on estrogen so estrogen could become sort of unopposed and it can i mean this is why it's you know so clearly associated with various forms of cancer is because mm. that is its job its job is is to basically tell the cell to divide mm. um and it's it's when that system becomes out of whack that it kind of becomes a problem right Um, well, but, oh, sorry, Elliot. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say. I mean, um, there are some. I mean, at the cellular level, like uh, if we want to go into it a little bit, not too deep, but it's important to sort of know how a how a cell typically functions. So, um, cells are basically. If if you if you look at a cell, it's really dense with proteins. So if anyone did like biology in high school or something, you'll get shown some crappy cartoon diagram of like a uh, you know like a bag of fluid with all these things floating around, and that's typically what mainstream medicine sort of sees the cell as. And it's kind of really been disproven quite quite a lot of times. Turns out the cell is like really dense with proteins. And this is called the cytoskeleton, but 
these proteins are so close together that the only thing that's sort of separating them from one another is like a layer of four or five water molecules. So the water molecules that are basically at the interface with all of these dense proteins, it forms like a gel. Like if you were to get some jello, you know, like gelatin and make a bowl of it. Uh, it's similar to that, but it's a lot more dense. And so that's, I mean, you can see if you just lift up your arm, your arm doesn't fall apart, does it? It's not like a bag of fluid. It's like, it's a dense network, you know, it's a dense gel. And, um, and so that's typically how a cell should, should be in its resting state. Um, but when it needs to perform an activity, uh, there's a cascade of sort of events which make the cell go from being like this really tight structured gel like thing to actually um, becoming less gel like and more like bulk water. It allows water into the cell and that's basically how the cell performs different activities. It goes from being this really dense structure to being this sort of uh, less dense structure and uh, it's quite complex but that's a rough overview. And so the way that estrogen actually affects the cell is it, is it affects the cell water. Um, so there's these things called estrogen receptors. Um, it's kind of debated about whether they work the way that they do, but you could just imagine the cell on the outside of the cell, they have like these little docks and estrogen comes along and it like interacts with the docks. And then what it basically does is it can, it allows water to get into the cell and it causes the cell to swell up. And when the cell swells, that's a triggering event for cell proliferation. So the way that the estrogen affects the cell growth is by essentially causing the cell to swell up. Mm -hmm. um, and that may seem kind of irrelevant right now, but if you put that in, in the context of, um, of disease, then it kind of makes a lot of sense because when that is meant to occur, like in the right context, say in the female reproductive cycle, then that's good because it's in a very specific area of the body, which is like the end of the reproductive tract. Um, and that's meant to happen. It's, you're meant to get an accumulation of fluid in the cell. And that's the normal chain of events. But if there's a scenario where there's excess of this estrogen, um, then this can affect other cells of the body that it's not necessarily meant to affect at different times. And when the cell essentially swells up with water, it loses its ability to decide what gets into and out of the cell. Mm -hmm. So typically the, the cell being really structured and gel-like is one of the protective functions. It's what essentially helps to exclude all of these toxins and things. But mm. estrogen's ability to essentially um, disrupt the cell water in the cell um, can affect, can actually allow things such as toxins and things to get in there when they're not necessarily meant to be in there. And so I think this is one of the main reasons why estrogen toxicity or estrogen overload is really so dangerous is because it it does have this have this kind of effect on on cells. Um, mm -hmm. But what estrogen also does, interestingly, is it um, it basically it causes cells to release more calcium. And so if 
you know anything about how calcium works in a cell it basically calcium is associated with activity so like we just said like estrogen is also associated with cell activity so it's calcium so one of the reasons why they say the emf is is so dangerous is because it basically activates these calcium channels in the Mm -hmm. cell and it causes all this intracellular calcium to be released and what that does is it like excites the cell so it, it stimulates the mitochondria and you produce loads of atp and stuff and that's good for a really short period of time but when a cell is like overly overly excited it can die really quickly Uh, It produces loads of free radicals and stuff, and it basically destroys the cell. So this is a similar effect of estrogen. Um, Estrogen uh, basically facilitates the release of calcium, and this is good in the right context. But again, when there's estrogen overload, then it's like it's very excitatory for the cell. Um, And this can lead to lots of other problems. And it's interesting because um, if you look at the PMS literature, um, Dr. Catherine Dalton, she wrote a very good book about this. She's called the PMS Bible, where she basically, um, she she's a researcher in the UK. She specialised in progesterone therapy for for women, and she, I think she was actually one of the ones. She was a doctor who came up with um, a syndrome. I can't remember what it was called, um, but it was basically to do with. Um, women actually losing their um, their rational faculty or their, their um, basically w- women who went insane at a certain type in the month. And there were several cases where women who were ta- taken to court either for violence mm. or for like, I think it was even like murder. And they actually got off on grounds of, of this temporary psychosis. Yeah, and this was induced. Do it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the thing is, the the I remember there was lots of um, information that came out about it because the judges had a really hard time like taking this into consideration. They thought this woman's just blaming their period. You know, this is crazy. They can't do that. But it actually turned out that with this doctor showing all of the evidence sort of research. It turned out that many of these women actually did go into a state of temporary psychosis, and when they were put on progesterone treatment, um, they they got a lot better. And I think that that one of the reasons for um, that psychosis is because of the effect that estrogen can potentially have on the nervous system, in that it can it can act as a um, an excite. Uh, excitotoxin that's what they call it so Mm. it it basically stimulates the neurons to such an extent that you get like um partial brain damage but you also get like you know you can get hallucinations and all of this crazy stuff um and that's just the effect of estrogen so above and beyond what i usually think of when i think of pms but i've never had the pms have you erica not really no No. not not to make me crazy. <laughs> well, you hear people, women talking about their PMS symptoms, how they get really angry and irritable and bitchy and start yelling at everybody. But what uh, Elliot described is something that's way above and beyond the usual PMS Murder. stories that you hear. Yeah. yeah so I guess yeah, for some people, it can be really that awful. I mean, yeah. the regular PMS sounds awful enough. I mean, who wants to do that every month? 
Well, and it's interesting that they that a lot of the doctors will prescribe like the pill for for women that are having irregular cycles or painful PMS. Mm-hmm. So, Elliot, would that be just giving them more estrogen, essentially, kind of compounding the problem? Well, I mean, um, it depends what kind of estrogen they're prescribing because if or what kind of pill because there's um, there's pre- there's the progestogen and the estrogen pill, or there's just the estrogen pill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes um, this is this is a really confusing thing because some people do get some benefits from that. And I've been trying to work out exactly what this is because I guess, I mean, estrogen in the right amounts is, you know, you need estrogen to be able to function. So um, I've, I was trying to work out exactly how it is that there's estrogen overload and this can cause really horrible symptoms and then there's when women are put on the estrogen pill seemingly some of their um some of their symptoms disappear um and so i think it comes back to i think there's there's sometimes in some contexts there's like an adaptive response so, for instance, the administer the administration of estrogen can um, initiate the body's natural pro- um, natural production of progesterone to sort of counterbalance that. Um, I know that that's that's the case with some SSRIs, so the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. The administration of that, or like 5-HTP can cause the brain to to actually produce its own neurosteroids which um which can account for a lot of the benefits that these that these pharmaceuticals actually um produce and so i think if i remember correctly there's some evidence that taking exogenous estrogen in a certain form can initiate the the body's own production of progesterone in response to that um, but again, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not entirely sure, you know. Well, it might explain why, you know, cause I think about soy, right. And soy has estrogenic properties. And despite the fact that, you know, there's a lot of literature out there talking about how bad soy is because of these estrogenic properties, there were like, I mean, it, originally it was considered a health food because some people definitely did seem to benefit from it. So I do wonder if maybe there's a similar thing kind of going on there where some people taking the soy you know, maybe in the in the proper quantity or something like that, we're getting benefit because it was sort of ramping up the body's own production of progesterone or or something like that. I mean, we don't know why, but it it was it always kind of confused me because you will see studies where they talk about oh yeah, administration of soy helped with X, Y, and Z, and it's kind of like well, you know, what what's really going on there? Because in a lot of other cases, soy has seemed to be a bad thing. Maybe it was placebo effect. Maybe. Yeah, I mean that's possible. But I mean the the, the problem with estrogen is that uh, it's one of those those aspects of science that um <laughs> there's so much money invested in it that it's really difficult to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of science mm-hmm. because there's so many vested interests in promoting the benefits of it. And this is the problem. It's not just like some random herb or some supplement or some like random compound where you've got some PhD researcher who's interested in it. No, like for this, for estrogen, this is like a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. And so like 
the question is, how do you, even if there's lots of research suggesting the benefits of something like that, it's like vegetable oils. I mean, look mm-hmm. at all of the research suggesting the benefits of corn oil. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's loads. There is loads, isn't there? But we know, yeah. you know, you only have to have two firing brain cells to know that most of that is BS. So yeah. the question becomes, like, is most of the research on estrogen also, you know, similarly BS? It's it's hard to tell. Yeah, you so, never know because, one, you have to consider the source of the estrogen or estrogen, like, Synthetic sources obviously are not going to act in the same way as estrogen that's produced by a woman or a man's own body. And there's also the uh, the source for the uh, hormone replacement, which is mare's u- urine, and huh. deriving estrogen from uh, a horse's pee is not going to act in the same way. <laughs> way for a human being as it would for a horse Hmm. it's just it's very confusing yeah yeah Yeah, the the birth control industry alone right is a Mm -hmm. a big part of this Um, yeah i don't know the numbers off the top of my head but i know it's a huge industry yeah absolutely yeah and not only just for birth control i mean i know in the uk they prescribe these just say if um, a girl's having just some minor pain with their period, they'll just stick her on a permanent estrogen pill. Um, And unfortunately, like, the research shows that, like, estrogen pills, well, there's a good chunk of research which suggests that um, that increases the risk of death for almost every single cancer that you could know of. You know, it's, it's really pretty dangerous stuff. I mean, there were several... Um, several clinical trials which actually had to be stopped part of the way through because too many people were dying. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's pretty bad, <laughs> but yeah. they keep going. It's like okay, wow. next year we'll uh, we'll try and try again. <laughs> wow. You know, yeah. it's, they're they're persistent. Um, well, it makes it makes sense from what you described about the the function of estrogen, and uh, you know, it's like facilitating the uh essentially the multiplication of cells right i mean i know that's very simplistic but you know it makes sense that it would increase the risk of cancer if you have anything that's about to go that way in your body estrogen essentially would help that along hmm. is a yeah accurate layman's understanding sort of that seems to be the case um and again like that is it's a simplistic way of looking at it because Apparently, you know, it involves all sorts of growth factors and everything like that. But ultimately, like fundamentally, that is estrogen's role. It's the growth of tissue. And it seems to be involved in like in stress as well. So uh, yeah, when I was it... ask about that, because it seems like some of the research we did, there's Dr. Kelly Brogan had an informational video about it and about how stress can really cause a over. Is it would it be an overproduction of estrogen or well if you have a lot of cortisol being produced with stress that can kind of diminish yeah. the amount of progesterone that's being produced yeah. it'll take the place of progesterone this uh, the cortisol hijack yeah yeah there, there's a there's an enzyme which is called aromatase 
So in people who are overweight, they overexpress this enzyme. So what this enzyme does is it like takes all of your sort of other hormones. It takes your anabolic androgens, like um, I think it takes like DHEA, androstenedione, testosterone, and it basically converts them into estrogen. Um, and so you see an overexpression of this enzyme in tissues when they're inflamed or when they're stressed. And that's really interesting. I was trying to work out what could be the benefit to that. And I'm thinking perhaps is that when a tissue undergoes inflammation or when it undergoes stress, you're going to have the inevitable sort of breakdown of tissue. And perhaps the overexpression of estrogen in that tissue is to rebuild, rebuild the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a, a persistent like state of chronic inflammation, um, there, there seems to be an overproduction or uh, high amounts of this enzyme. Similar, you know, in people who are obese, they have really high aromatase activity because the fat cells produce aromatase. And what I think is probably the case and the only thing that kind of makes sense, because I try to work off the idea that the body always just tries to do the best that it can with its limited resources. So it's not just going to produce some chemical just for the sake of doing it, even though it's really detrimental. So the only way that I, the only reason that I would think that aromatase is expressed in like in stressful situations is because stressful situations usually involve the cortisol hormone, and cortisol is catabolic, which means it breaks down tissue. So how else are you going to rebuild tissue? Well, you can use estrogen to do that, I guess. You know, so. Um, fat cells um, produce it though. Well, I guess I was thinking about this earlier actually, and I thought you might ask that. Now, <laughs> if you look at so if you look at a fat cell, um, it's but specifically fat cells like naturally produce estrogen. It's not a necessarily a, a bad state to have your fat cells produce estrogen. That's one of its roles. I mean, it does that in men and women. But yeah, the, the question the question, the question is why. Yeah, the thing is why why does it produce estrogen? What what, what function does the estrogen have in maintaining the fat cell? Now that, that's a tricky question. Now the thing is that uh, there's some really interesting research showing that fat cells actually need inflammation um, to be able to store more fat. So um, there was a study done um, with mice and it was basically measuring um, the effects of inflammation on the adipose tissue and it was showing that the mice who um, were genetically engineered to have no inflammation in the adipose tissue um, they stopped being able to to store excess calories in the fat and uh, and they developed metabolic syndrome and died whereas the the rats who did have inflammation in the fat in the fat tissue um they could essentially store more calories in in the fat and they were actually protected against metabolic dysfunction so they didn't get insulin resistance they didn't get all of these things and so the um the scientists all the researchers concluded that inflammation was was beneficial it's needed for um, for people who are fat to basically prevent against getting metabolic dysfunction. And it was interesting because the inflammation was coming from gut endotoxin. 
So it, it almost suggested like these rats basically, you know, facilitated the growth of like a pro-inflammatory microbiome in the gut to be able to produce more endotoxin, which could then go into the fat tissue, produce more inflammation so that they could prevent themselves getting metabolic dysfunction. Hmm. Well, um, if, and if your fat cells store toxins and clears them out of your bloodstream, that would be a benefit in the long run, even though aesthetically it might not be pleasing if you're obese. But it's a way to protect you in the long run, perhaps. Is that kind yeah. of what you're saying? Yeah, I think I think there's something to do with that. I think it's it may have something to do with the estrogen's effect um, on remodeling of the fat tissue to maybe to be able to facilitate more fat deposition mm. rather than rather than it spilling into the bloodstream. Because the 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 most problematic scenario is when someone's fat, they can no longer store any more fat. Because when that happens, they start getting elevated free fatty acids. They get elevated blood glucose they basically get insulin resistance and diabetes and metabolic syndrome and stuff mm-hmm. um so really actually the fat is is like massively protective um and the inflammation is also really protective and i i i suspect that estrogen plays a role in in that inflammation as well i'm not exactly sure i couldn't find any research on that but again it doesn't make sense that the body would just randomly produce loads of estrogen in the fat cells if it wasn't beneficial in some way mm-hmm. that is pretty well, wild to think that obesity might just be the body quarantining toxins i mean i know it's much more complex than that but um what was Sorry, I was gonna say something about yeah. Um, right. So yeah. So estrogen. Um, no, sorry, it wasn't in the context of fat. So sure. so if if there was some potential benefit of estrogen to the, the fat cell, or if it was maintaining the fat cell, or something like that, I guess if it's endogenous, then that's not so much of a problem. But I think the real problem occurs is that when like uh, the human body is exposed to so much exogenous estrogen. I think mm. that just completely skews the system. And I think that's probably why estrogen has got such a bad name as well is because like everyone associates really bad things with it. And that's because lots of bad things are associated with it. <laughs> but it seems like these things just hijack the system, like this reproductive system. They hijack they it. don't act in the same way as natural estrogens if you have all these xenoestrogens coming in they don't perform the same functions as a natural estrogen and that further throws things out of whack yeah yeah and then there's also the body's ability to like to get rid of estrogen as well so um you know you probably know you've probably heard about methylation so mm-hmm. one of the ways that your body actually detoxifies because because you produce like a hell load of estrogen and especially when you're exposed to loads of um environmental estrogen as well you, you you're coming into contact with a lot and even i mean imagine if you're chronically stressed if you're chronically stressed you're going to be constantly um secreting more estrogen than you you may have been doing before and so you think you've got this massive estrogen 
burden almost you need to kind of be, you need to be able to detoxify that so there's two main ways that you get rid of it and the first way um is via the gut so that is basically involves a pathway called glucuronidation i spoke about it briefly in another podcast but it's one of the liver detoxification pathways and it basically binds it gets this chemical and it binds it with estrogen and then it passes it into the um into the gut and when it's in the gut it should ideally be passed through into the feces um but the problem is is that sometimes when you've got dysbiosis or you've got like an imbalance of gut bacteria then um you can have like um bacteria which produce an enzyme which prevents this or reverses this detoxification or you can also have um if you've got constipation then i mean Mm. if you're not going to the toilet sort of once or twice every single day then there's a good chance that you're going to be reabsorbing a lot of the estrogen that you're trying to get rid of so that can be a problem um so you know gut motility is really important but then there's also another pathway and this is uh the methylation pathway so most people know about this they know about getting like uh, b12 and folate rich foods and everything like that so this is a way that you would get rid of estrogen but you pass it through in the urine and um and unfortunately a lot of people's methylation capacity is like drastically reduced often because of the other toxins and things that we come into contact with or if we're you know deficient in one of the vitamins i mean there's so many vitamins that you need to methylate estrogen i mean there's like vitamin c vitamin b12 vitamin b6 um vitamin b9 i mean there's there's all sorts but if there's something that you you're coming into contact with that is disrupting this way of detoxification and most of us are these days <laughs> like we we're talking about pvc before the show uh even just like on my laptop i mean it's, if if i look at the um the little mouse pads like the middle's gone shiny so that means that all of the plastic has basically been rubbed off by my finger and that's been absorbed into the finger <laughs> so, so that's the sort of thing that's going to place a, a load of a burden on your on your methylation pathway and um and yeah so if you can't if you're not effectively methylating things then you're not going to be able to get rid of estrogen as well so it's almost like the estrogen system is just being attacked from every single angle um and i think this is one of the reasons why it probably more than any other hormone other than say cortisol has been implicated in just so many different um different diseases well back to the the liver pathway so anything that kind of hampers your uh, liver detoxification can also cause a build up of estrogen whether natural or outside estrogen so if you're taking like drugs and not just street drugs, but like medications, or if you drink a lot or if you're exposed to environmental toxins and your liver is not able to detoxify all this excess estrogen, that will cause a problem. So people really need to be mindful to get their liver into shape, like maybe do coffee enemas or milk thistles or liver cleanses in order to help your body kind of detoxify all that excess out yes yeah, certainly um i mean there's there's also i mean there's 
the liver is like the one that really takes the hit in this situation yeah. because it's like you know they call it like the gorilla it's like the metabolic home of the body so it requires so much energy and it requires unfortunately it takes such a beating it's like the organ which just really gets hit in every way um and and it's unfortunately it's a way it's the only way that we we can really get rid of this stuff um and there's there's also the sulfation pathway and that that is used to detoxify estrogen as well but i mean we've spoken about that past couple of shows i mean you know that can get busted by all sorts of things but it's almost like uh you know there's a lot of supplements and stuff that you can take for live health and i you know i kind of used to think that supplementation wasn't like always necessary but now i'm the more i learn the more i think okay we're not living in a natural world we're living in a world where we are just constantly bombarded by mm-hmm. so much crap and so i i would imagine that like maybe some daily milk milk thistle or nac mm-hmm. or something like that is probably a really good idea mm. and yeah, in researching for this show i learned that in addition to all the crap that they feed uh farmed cattle they give them estrogen too, to ramp up their milk production. So cows have like five times cows that are uh, RBGH. Yeah, they they're raised on these big CAFO operations. They have like five times the amount of estrogen as a free range cow would have, and of course we're eating the meat of the cow and drinking the milk or eating the cheese. That's sure. another source of exposure. Yeah, they they not only they they feed it them to um to make them fat as well. Yeah. They they found that uh, that was one of the original things that they they found was that by giving them because you can give a an animal antibiotics and that will make them fat, <laughs> but you can also yeah. give them estrogen and that will make them fat as well. Um, and so <laughs> it ramps up the profits, <laughs> but, oh. but unfortunately it's uh. It's it's really dense with estrogen when you eat it. <laughs> well, in the U.S., we're starting to see the side effects of that with the issue with precocious puberty, right? Mm-hmm. Where girls are starting to experience breast development at seven or eight years old. Well, considering that a lot of women are taking birth control pills and they pee <laughs> and it gets into the water supply... Yeah, and there's no way all of that stuff can be filtered out. I mean, there's statin drugs in the water supply, and then that water supply is being pumped through PVC piping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and on, on top of that, it's actually hard to, or not necessarily hard, but expensive to test for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Some friends of mine and I tested water from a, a well uh, two years ago, mailed it in, and we were going to do the pharmaceutical test, but it was like three thousand dollars. Oh, you know, as opposed to the regular, like, overall broad-spectrum test, which is like a few hundred dollars. Hmm. Yeah, I was reading a really interesting paper before. It was it was on about the, um, the environmental impacts of the estrogen in the water supply, and it was talking about how it's, it's not only affecting, like, human health, but, I mean, with the... I mean, the gynecomastia as well, like, the... The prevalence of man boobs is shockingly high, and that that can be linked back to estrogen. But um, it was talking about its effects not only 
on fish. Um, I mean, it's, it's turning fish. <laughs> it's completely decimating <laughs> um, the gender of, of fish populations these days. Mm. Um, they're really yeah. concerned because there's all sorts of like weird growths and mutations, but they're also like having sex changes mid mid life cycle, and so <laughs> and so they're, they're worried about the the um, you know the future of of wildlife. But also plants as well, so it, it affects the growth of plants and it it alters the the ratio of anti antioxidants and stuff. So you're getting like lots of growths of weird type algae and, and things and and, and gay it's kind frogs. of yeah, it's messing up with the whole ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's not only just affecting humans; it's like this hormone is uh yeah, it can be pretty drastic. Well, I think uh, a lot of people don't realize, too, that the, the pesticides are xenoestrogens, mm-hmm. right? So, like, things like DDT or ast- atrazine or indulfosan and possibly glyphosate. And so, even if you're trying to stay away from those, mm-hmm. the plants are completely exposed to it. And then the runoff goes into the water and the fish and the frogs and yeah, so even if you eat organic veggies, you're still going to get the runoff yeah. in the water. But another thing that I was thinking about is the rise in heart disease, heart attacks. If you consider that estrogen plays a role in blood clotting, and if you have too much estrogen, you have a large amount of clots, which can lead to heart attacks or strokes or DVTs or embolisms of other sorts. So, Yeah. Yeah, estrogen. I'm starting to get sad. <laughs> yeah, it seems to play a really, uh, really strong role in in thyroid metabolism as well. Um, so they've shown that excess estrogen basically can like almost shut off the thyroid gland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if that's like an adaptive mechanism or if that's just like a really bad effect of the estrogen. I'm not sure. But um, mm. but it could probably account for a lot of the hypothyroidism that we see nowadays because mm-hmm. that stuff's just gone massively on the rise. And what's interesting as well is that estrogen actually inhibits the absorption of iodine. Um, mm. and oh. So I think Dr. Brownstein might have spoken about this in one of his books. But yeah, so there's, there's one thing with women um, who are of reproductive age, and is, that is that they probably need a lot more iodine intake, mainly because of the effects of estrogen, but this doesn't only apply to women these days. It's like they found that men also have shockingly high levels of estrogen, and unfortunately estrogen sort of um, antagonizes the effects of testosterone, or if you've got lots of the enzymes converting all of your testosterone into the estrogen, then you're going to end up with feminized males. And that is exactly what we see in this day and age, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you've got the combination of like iodine deficiency, thyroid deficiency, um, you know, like fem- feminized characteristics. And I guess it, it also, and if you look at how estrogen does affect the brain, it could probably also account for a lot of the anxiety and other things that we're seeing today. And it's just like, mm. yeah, and it's pain. And large very prostate sort of in men, too, is a symptom of high estrogen. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. yeah. it's a growth hormone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about and, men. 
actually what like what is the effect on men because like you know estrogen is generally thought of as a female hormone and a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is the effect on females but i mean you know feminizing characteristics is obviously quite disturbing and but you know man boobs aside what else can we uh what else what else is the effect of of all this uh, excess estrogen on sexual men? dysfunction see... well yeah but do we dysfunction. see the same kind of like going crazy you know i mean yeah. obviously they don't have pms but like are, depression are, are the dudes going crazy <laughs> the dudes are going yeah crazy. <laughs> i don't know I, syndrome. I don't I couldn't find anything specifically about men going nuts and shooting up places because of high estrogen, but there well, was research on estrogen uh, causing depression in men, hmm. especially men who have uh, who are obese. You would think that maybe they're just depressed because they're fat, but it's because of the estrogen's effect on their their mood in yeah, well, conjunction if- with being obese. If you, if you look at estrogen's effect or estrogen <laughs> estrogen's effect on um on testosterone, so estrogen tends to lower testosterone. It's like um yeah, it has a really detrimental effect on the testosterone, and testosterone is really really important for maintaining muscle mass. So if you look at a man's physique, typically you know we've got very low body fat. Or, you know, the typical physique of like a slim male or a muscular male or whatever, they typically have much less body fat than a, um, a female does. And this is like a, this is just physiological. This isn't the, this is just the way that we're designed to work. You know, we're uh, typically designed to have higher muscle mass. Um, and that is predominantly due to the effects of the higher levels of testosterone. And so the testosterone, it plays an important part in the in in uh, male characteristics. It's also how the male brain actually works. You know, a lot of the things that are typically assigned to a lot of the sort of um, uh, I guess you could say characteristics that are typically assigned to males are you know um, can be traced back or uh, I guess can be related back to. Um, testosterone's effect on the developing brain um, but testosterone it, it, as I've said it's important for maintaining muscle mass and muscle mass generally contributes to uh, um, uh, energy expenditure so or any uh, yeah your, your muscle mass basically the more muscle mass that you have it, you, muscle uses more energy uh, your base, your your basal metabolism. If you've got higher muscle mass, you will use more energy. And so this is w- one of the reasons why males, um, or one of the ways that males can stay relatively lean, is because their high level of muscle mass means that they can eat a lot of calories, and their muscles will use that as fuel. And the problem is, I think, is that when estrogen lowers the testosterone you get a subsequent decrease in muscle mass increase in um body fat and then that is what really can predispose you to obesity Mm. is because because of its detrimental effects on the muscle mass but it also it's also implicated in all sorts of cancers but particularly prostate cancer um and you know that can be linked back to the uh, the the essential effects of the estrogen itself, but I think for males it's really 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 important to try and introduce some sort of anabolic stimulus, 
um, like some weight training and stuff. If, if, you know, I think that's important anyway, but especially in the context of, um, our modern day world, because Mm -hmm. if you're not doing something that will increase your testosterone and one of the main ways, I mean, one of the most documented ways and most consistent ways of increasing testosterone is to, um, to pump weights basically or you know physical activity but really strength strength training with heavy weights if possible uh, is, is a great way to increase testosterone and so i think women? that would that be too not to change the subject back to women but would that be something too if women were suffering from estrogen dominance if they you know put a, a fitness routine into their weekly life or something with weights and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would always help. <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if it applies. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It's a, it's a really complex subject. I mean, there's. I think one of the main things to do is just to try and avoid all of the xenoestrogens and try and get a really nutrient dense diet. So that would mean your fat soluble vitamins. Um, a vitamin K2, that's important for progesterone, but that's also important for testosterone. Um, yeah, basically just everything that we say every single week, try and avoid the EMF, try and sleep properly, get your physical activity, get your sunlight. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Avoid parabens and plasticizers. Bisophenol A was mm. another one. Uh, Eat organic platelets. as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to eat organic vegetables if you're going to eat like cruciferous vegetables like cabbage and broccoli broccoli brussels sprouts yeah cauliflower those help you from what i've read detox excess estrogen yeah without doubt they you know those those things they contain a bunch of uh different phytochemicals like Mm. uh the glucosinolates and stuff and they contain things like uh, this is one thing called indole 3 carbonyl and they play lots of effects but like they can really boost up liver detoxification so i think i think it, i mean with all of the stuff that you're exposed to i think just one of the main ways is just to try and really give your liver um just that boost if mm-hmm. you can you know just try and do what you can i mean there's no way that you're going to be able to get, you know, to to get away from all of it. But as we always say, it's just try and do that little bit extra. Try and get your nutrients in. Uh, kale is a great one. But then again, in really high amounts, kale can actually sort of like suppress the thyroid Absolutely. function if you, mm-hmm. eat, if you eat loads of it. Like people uh, having like uh, kale, kale smoothies smoothie. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the good thing is, is that the thyroid suppressing effects can be really depressed just by cooking it. So if you mm-hmm. cook it, then you can reduce the goitrogenic effects by like 90%. It's just these people who are having like raw kale shakes like four times a day yeah. and then wondering why they've got man boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so address the diet and strengthen your liver. Since hormones are such a complex subject and no one really knows exactly how they work, I'm always 
afraid to kind of supplement with hormone therapy. Yeah. Even if it's, I definitely would never do any kind of birth control or hormone replacement therapy of the synthetic kind. But there are women who experiment with bioidentical hormones, whether in the form of a pill, which is not so good because it just goes down into your stomach. It has to be processed by the liver and it's not as bioavailable as, say, something like a cream. But sometimes if you have a progesterone cream, they can get... uh slowed down by being absorbed into your fat cells and not excrete in the way that they should. And there are some uh, bioidentical hormones, progesterone, that you can take sublingually and it goes directly into your bloodstream. But then there's always the question of how much should you take and for how long should you take it because you shouldn't take it continuously all the time because that's not really how hormones work. So it's also confusing. <laughs> so there's a hyper. I could give you a hypothetical scenario. Yeah. Uh, for instance, oh, if a woman was looking to supplement with progesterone, and I'm not saying that she should be, but if she was wanting to try that out, um, then you would only do it for half of the cycle. Mm-hmm. So you do it typically, from what I can remember, I think it's day seven to day... Uh, day 21, I think. So you'd only do it for like 12 to 14 days of the cycle, but I'm not sure if that if those days are correct. I'm not very uh, clued yeah, up on the cycle. If your periods are regular, if your periods are irregular, then you have to figure out a whole new way to do it. And if you're postmenopausal, there's that to factor in as well. Yeah, there's loads of things that can go wrong with that, I think, <laughs> um, when you're messing around with hormones. But, I mean, there's a lot of doctors that used it, and I've read some amazing results. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... Yeah, I would definitely say do it recommend. under doctor's care. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Natural, I guess, naturopath who is very well-versed in hormone therapy, not just any yeah. quack off the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you definitely need to be working with someone. But I, I do understand that the argument for it... Because, you know, someone could say, oh, well, you know, there's no reason anyone should supplement with hormones because uh, because that's unnatural. But then if you look at, okay, we're exposed to so much, I mean, especially the women, you guys have got it really bad in terms of the estrogen because you're already producing loads yourself. <laughs> and so you, there's, there's a boatload that's being introduced. Um, and so... I, I, you imagine, you know, you've got so much excess of estrogen, and really, what is it? What is the main thing which opposes that? Well, it's progesterone, and progesterone has actually been to be found really, really, really safe, like really safe. Um, I mean, there's studies which show that you know applying progesterone to the brain like increases neuroplasticity and stuff, um, but it's mm. really safe if it's done properly, I believe. You know, don't quote me on that, but from all of the research I've seen, I've been really kind of impressed by it. And, you know, the argument could be that, okay, you're exposed to so much unnatural estrogen. Why not just, you know, temporarily you could counteract that with some natural progesterone? And, you know, it seems to really help some women. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was, what was I going to say again? 
Sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else, but yeah. No worries. Sorry. Yeah, that's a lot to take <laughs> in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a hugely complicated topic, just like most of the stuff that we address. And I, it was cracking me up what you said where, like, the uh, the solutions or things that you can do is pretty much what we say every week. You know, watch watch your daily practice, watch the materials that you're using, the food that you're putting in your body, you know, exercise. Lift weights. <laughs> yeah. I can attest to the importance of that. I threw, uh, two weeks ago, I th- like right after the last show that we did, I threw my back out. Uh, oh. And it was like, I was really frustrated because like, you know, I'm 37. I didn't need to be throwing my back out. But then obviously the solution is to do some strength training so it doesn't happen. But yeah, I mean, it's really important, I think, and people lose that connection too with the hormone production and physical activity. You know, it's, I get loosely understood that you feel better after you exercise, but I don't think people really look into what that does. Definitely. Well, it requires discipline too, which is hard in this fast-paced yeah. world we live in. Yeah. And you can get those little things off the infomercials that just vibrate your stomach. <laughs> The shake weights. That's the best way. Yeah. They have the whole body shaker too now. You just oh. stand on it and it jiggles your whole body. <laughs> That's actually good for the lymph system. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, we've kind of uh, gone through Elliot, thank you very much for explaining that. It's, you know, it's hard to know the science and most people are not or don't consider themselves to be scientists so to understand this you really either have to put your blind trust in a in a doctor or start looking into it yourself which is daunting you know Mm. um that's why we're here oh there was one interesting study i thought i wanted to bring up about estrogen uh i think they did the study on a college campus and Basically, the study said that prettier women who have high estrogen levels are more likely to cheat (laughs) on their partners. Yeah. I think it was kind of like there was two different studies. There was one where they, you know, had like a panel kind of evaluate the prettiness of women. Mm. And then they correlated that with their estrogen levels. And they found that the women who were perceived as prettier and it was by both women and men, um, were found to have higher estrogen levels. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, what Elliot said about, you know, estrogen being in the cells or in the bloodstream, you know, I guess it was they had higher levels of estrogen in the blood. And then there was another study because the, the woman who did the, the second study actually had read the first one and was kind of like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then kind of looked at whether... Um, a woman, what they did, they did it kind of by, so it's not a super rigorous study, but it was kind of like they asked women, you know, whether they would consider different levels of kind of cheating. So, you know, just kind of flirting versus kissing versus actually going all the way um, or actually like leaving their partner for another guy who came along. And they found that the women who had the higher estrogen levels were more likely to think about that sort of thing or consider that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's kind of like women who had higher estrogen levels were more likely to be thinking about other dudes. Hmm. Or was it the fact 
that the women were more attractive as judged by this panel, that they thought they had more options? Yeah, could be. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of like, well, you know, this guy's all right, but my options are open. <laughs> yeah. I know I could land sure. somebody better. Well, if you look at that from a biological perspective, yeah. Yeah, that would be the case. Well, they also yeah. said in the study that the women who had higher estrogen were more fertile, so that lends to the kind of biological reason, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we, uh, we're we about at our time. We don't have a pet health segment this week, uh, so sorry about that, but uh, uh, we wish Zoya well, and uh, hopefully we... Uh, are able to talk to her next week. Um, and yeah, that's about it. So I thank, thank you to everyone for tuning in and using the chat. Uh, and be sure to uh, tune in next week. We'll be back with another topic. Um, also check out the SOT radio show on uh, Sunday. So go to radio.sot.net for that. Okay. So that's it. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye everybody. Thanks, everybody.